0: I'm not disagreeing with you as much as maybe I thought I was going to. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government.
1: The Honor and Ron Paul podcast starts now. Welcome to the Honor and Ron Paul podcast, episode number 24. Uh, We are in for a treat today because I am with uh, Dr. Tiger King, uh, who is a former colleague and has a different take on a lot of things uh, than I do. And uh, we oftentimes go back and forth on Facebook. So I thought, why uh, should we have this impersonal little typing when we have the power of the Internet to have a, a uh, sort of face to face and just chat about all sorts of things? Because everyone has a wonderful value to add to any kind of conversation and uh, especially someone as intelligent as Tiger King. She is a, a physician. And let's uh, uh, just say former colleague.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Dr. Tiger King. Um, last That's time correct. we chatted was 20 years ago, probably.
0: hmm
1: At least in person. And uh, you were going to do pathology, but that you you ended up uh, getting tired of the microscope. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. just assuming. Uh, And now you're doing uh, primary care. Is that correct?
0: Well, um, I I did family medicine. Exactly. Uh, You're right. I ended up going going into family medicine initially and I was hospital medicine, have been hospital medicine exclusively since I um, got out of residency in 2005. Um, But I always had a love for pathology. So I did a stint doing pathology residency in Florida for three years um, but because of age or maturity, who's to say, um, lots of different factors. I, I actually realized that the joy of medicine did involve uh, taking care of patients um, because we did lots of autopsies and lots of information gathering and lots of medical examiner work and had great exposure. But what I really got back to was the, the beauty, uh, the thrill that I the reward that I got was actually taking care of patients. Um, that's just a simple way to put it. And so anyway, I'm back to being, to doing hospital medicine now in acute care. So I exclusively work in the hospital.
1: Yeah. And that's a very nice sentiment about medicine. You know, as a pain management physician, sometimes I'm just like, Oh, why didn't I do pathology (laughs) (laughs) or radiology? You know, there's always that balance. And I, um, And, uh, you know, some days are more trying than others. But uh, uh, so take me back, uh, if you could, just kind of uh, let's dig into your uh, political leanings or your political background. When did you uh, first become politically aware as a, a kid or teenager?
0: Honestly, I don't believe, well, possibly some sort of political awareness. Maybe when I was in high school and I was in boarding academy which is not an experience of everyone. You know, most people you know probably have experience with that, but broadly across America, not everybody has that. So I, at that time, I, I'm not even aware if if my parents voted. Uh, they kept that sort of thing secret. I remember my father being involved in town um, political movements that involved keeping separation of church and state. Um, he's a minister, so... What I understood from what he was doing was trying to protect the separation of church and state. And so that's probably, as a teenager, the first time I became aware that people vote, people have opinions, you have to protect them. Not everyone thinks like you or our family, just because I was, you know, as a child, I believed everyone lived like me, even mm-hmm. though I was raised, and I'm not sure if it's the same for you, but I was. I moved every two to three years my entire childhood and the church that we attended is a very ethnically diverse church yet i still felt that everyone lived like me and had conservative values meaning socially conservative values and even fiscally conservative values and but i don't think i thought about that at all probably till i was a junior senior in high school and did not i will i will have to admit take responsibility for voting so i'm just full disclosure i did not take responsibility for voting at all the last 10 or 15, tell 10 or 15 years ago, to be mm. honest, kind of the lies, you know, my age. I'm not going to give you direct math, but um, so anyway, I'll just stop talking so you can direct the sure. conversation.
1: <laughs> so 10 or 15 years ago, it seems like uh, things changed a bit and you became more active. Uh, if you mentioned right. uh, voting being important at that point. Um, So how have things evolved uh, more recently? Recently, I mean, that 10 to 15 years.
0: Um, I voted, I I would say the most, maybe just emotional vote for me was um, when I I voted as a Democrat for Obama. And (laughs) it was emotionally important to me for a few reasons, I just felt that we I just felt that we needed diversity to be owned in our country. I thought we needed different views and different ways of doing things, and um, so it, it, I also believed a lot in what he said he stood for. But I will be honest that the voting had to do a lot more with the idea that I thought we needed diversity in views and experiences in the higher parts of our government. Mm-hmm. Um, as as far as where things went from there, obviously nothing ever goes the way you think it's gonna go when you vote. And and I did have my own fair share of trying to justify the way things went, like with healthcare and things like that, trying to justify what other parts of government or whatever parts of society were blocking progress, things like that. Um but to me it was mostly about social. Socially liberal progress in this country, that was the top for me. Um, and also I just felt like a balance as far as thinking about money in our country. I thought we needed a balance. Um and then what it's done since then, I I I fully expected a if you want to call it a backlash. Uh and that's what happened. And so the pendulum always swings. Um, and so I have had to do some self searching and and try to stay open-minded and and things and and kind of see that there are, many people have different experiences. So many people have different reasons for coming to the voting situation um, and they are just as valid as mine. So the journey since then has been trying to remain open-minded that my experience, while I think it's perfectly valid, does not really extrapolate out to everybody else's. So I don't know if I'm wandering from your question. So I'm trying to keep it from being an actual agenda where I try to change the world Mm. to right now just admitting now that the older I get, the less I know and try to remain open-minded and can keep some just core values. Um,
1: So let's talk a little bit about core values. Uh, Have you ever read um, like um, Jonathan Haidt, the righteous mind kind of talks about different core values people hold and how that can kind of translate to um, political beliefs
0: I have not read that, but we can certainly continue to talk yeah. about.
1: Well, know. it's it's just interesting because um he kind of digs into what what's called moral psychology and how people mm-hmm. um have different um uh, kind of almost genetically determined moral compasses mm-hmm. as far as what categories uh, are most uh, pressing or most interesting to people. And that then has uh, consequences in um, voting and political Mm -hmm. uh, identity. So you mentioned a lot about kind of lived experiences and change and racial equality, um, things like that. So those are all uh, very much wonderful attributes and, and uh, goals And I think where our voting preferences, since I used to vote and now I don't really vote for national office, it's interesting how, or two little ships passing in the night, where I I used to vote and then I became politically active and now I don't. (laughs) (laughs) And I think so. Somehow. go on uh, so i think how a lot of kind of things because because in this um you know in in some of the research as far as how uh, democrats and republicans kind of vote and whatnot um there's always that weird outlier of libertarians because when you run a what they have these different moral tests as far as you know which moral categories people are using to influence their uh, their ideas uh libertarians tend to only focus on the uh i can't remember what they called it but but, but basically the individual type of morality uh, meaning that disrupting the uh, the person's individual rights is kind of on testing the highest moral value and um, that confused a lot of the psychologists and um, I think the the reason for that is uh, oftentimes and how because I've seen some of these different moral tests that they do and oftentimes the questions are like um, should the government you know outlaw gay marriage or should the government um provide socialized health care or something like that and so right there you lose all the lose all the libertarians like you know of course not you, you <laughs> add you just said should the government and the answer whatever's after that is going to be no <laughs> they shouldn't and so i think it's it's tough to kind of dig down because there's a lot of libertarians who came from the left and have that inherent moral uh compass of you know um Uh, seeking justice seeking equality and then they kind of get into libertarianism and say okay well seeking justice and seeking uh, equality government is very poor at doing that and then you have people from the right that are you know focusing more on uh, pulling them up by the bootstraps and you know economy is important you know they get into libertarianism and and then they're like um you know, the government's really, really crappy at at that. So you have a couple of different kind of paths and avenues to kind of a libertarian mindset. And it's always it's always very, very interesting kind of digging into, you know, kind of what are what are important for people. And. I I You mentioned going off on a tangent and I just kind of went off on a complete.
0: Well, not really. So what I, what I heard you say was that, so liberals may come to libertarianism because they're realizing that the, the, the government's not going to maybe support the things they want supported. And and it sounds like conservatives come from the same, for the same reason as realizing that the government made of people, uh, is is not going to consistently be able to deliver and so while conservatives may come to it from the idea that they should be i don't know i think think i did lose it there like i i i like the social liberal part of of libertarianism let everybody do let people marry who they're going to marry if you don't want to marry the same Mm -hmm. sex don't do it so i would just like you know, I, I come from the idea that I would like to make sure that everyone around me allows me to marry the same sex if I would like to do that. But I need government to do that for me for some reason. And so I'll get to that in a second. And then a conservative person may just, um, you know, they've always talked about small government. I don't think they want small government. I think they want government to say.
1: I completely agree with That's that.
0: That's a shame. It 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 really is just about oppressing people, not them. Um, and so then. I can see where they can come to libertarianism from from there too. And I, I think it, I think it does hold value. I think we've all seen as we age that the idea of having rules and guidelines like you have in seventh grade, it's a great idea, doesn't play out. So I, I, I can see that I have that in common with a conservative person. I, I can see that. So that's attractive as I'm reading as I'm reading about your as I'm reading about your beliefs, Howard. It, it is attractive because I will agree with you that that, the government does not consistently deliver and it's easily rigged and easily influenced people because people are easily influenced.
1: So going back to the most recent Facebook interaction that we had, you were delightful enough to listen to the last podcast, episode 23 with Dr. Larson. Mm -hmm. And in that we kind of chatted about COVID about government response and you're uh, as a hospitalist, Uh, much more on the front lines than we are. So uh, I would like your input as far as how you see this COVID thing playing out. And I don't want to say COVID thing because that, uh, you know, uh, doesn't respect the people that have been severely affected or killed by it. But um, just uh, what are your thoughts on this? What can – people do on the individual level and what can people do um through government that would be helpful at this time
0: i think it is difficult on the individual level because the the things that everyone uh has issue with uh mainstream media um, messages being delivered unreliably I, i think on a personal level it's difficult to Um, to know what to do. Um, I have personal opinions based on my personal experience and the experience of the people that I'm in close relationships with. And um, I think on a personal level, the the biggest part is realizing that we do not have all the information about this. This is a pandemic. Uh, It was predicted. We were not prepared. We do not have information. Now, we're starting to actually collect information. And so this information will evolve over time. And we do not have a tolerance for waiting for answers in our country. And I am the same way. Um, I think the middle of the road right now where I stand, because I you know, get daily input from my employer and stuff about opinions about the science and things like that. But seems to me like it's reasonable to try not to infect other people, to realize that you may carry it yourself asymptomatically, just be a nice person, um, try to stay distance, distance from other people. Um, I do believe that uh, until we have testing um, that's appropriate, we're really not going to know necessarily what happens. I do think that personally just try to be nice. And when you're at the grocery store, please stay six feet away from me. That's all I have to say.
1: <laughs> I yeah. will be
0: worried. Um, just because I think that it's, to me, I think that it's polite, not under the idea that I think I'm going to not get it when I go out, but I would like to be polite to other people. And right yeah. now is that we just need to realize that stuff is still evolving and everyone's experience in every different zip code is different. So we we just have to remember that this is an ongoing situation. And, and that's about all I have to say, sort of from a medical standpoint, but just my personal opinion. What yeah. are you
1: going to say? Well, and especially as healthcare providers, since we are coming in contact with so many people, I think it's important that we wear masks out mm-hmm. in public so we're not one of those asymptomatic spreaders that are... I think there's been recorded several cases of uh, asymptomatic spread and there's just on Medscape a a meta-analysis or review of social distancing masks and things like that. And uh, they had some, some more raw numbers as far as the effectiveness of those. And it does seem to be um, effective um, for all these things. And so, Sorry, I got a little something in my throat. Um, could be the COVID. Uh, so I
0: mean, you don't know how hard. Got to
1: get, got to get tested. Um, so I think we both can definitely agree that the particularly initial government response and CDC guidelines and recommendations uh, were woefully lacking. Um,
0: Indeed, yes.
1: And So let's just dig right into the different responses by the government and where do you see the lockdowns going and um, were they effective?
0: I believe that a lockdown was probably excessive. However, I do believe we had some measure in some communities of flattening the curve. I do believe that. And the reason is not because... Like initially, I got on the Johns Hopkins little grid and I had it constantly in the background when I was at work and I kept track of every case in Florida because that's where my parents lived and I knew all the data and all the numbers as they changed by the hour and and watched the graphs and the mathematical models. And now I shut all of that off and I don't watch it at all because I no longer believe it. And now (laughs) I'm going along with... The, the personal experience of my friends, and so, and I'll say up front. So, I work in a situation, a very rural community, with a population of people who does not get this, has not been out. I personally would not even want to call myself myself frontline. I evaluate patients oh. of interest, but I have not personally had to. I mean, we have a, a COVID unit, a COVID ER. We do the things. We've had some positive patients, but they have not been the sick ones. My personal, very close friend and my significant other care for them daily in metropolitan large cities. And and the situation there is very different. They are actually everyone in the ICU uh, that has COVID. The average age is 30 to 50. They're not elderly and they don't go home. So that is a very different situation from what has actually been reported in other parts of the country. So the only reason I remain concerned is that I personally talk to someone at the end of their workday who has a very different experience. So what I take from that is the fact that even if we try, I would love it if we could report all the data and it could all be real collected data that is meaningful so we could make good decisions, but we don't have that. So what I now go with is the fact that Georgia opened up a month ago and now their numbers in the hospitals are going up. Um, does, does that mean that the overall incidence or prevalence of death uh, um, is super high and that when I go outside, I should assume I'm going to die if I go to the grocery store? No, because I will agree with you that overall mo- the vast majority of people don't get it and don't get it before they get sick and die, but it's still happening and it's still for some reason a very heterogeneous disease um, with very profound and dramatic um, ways that people die. So my, my it's per, it's experience now that I'm just making decisions, it's based on actually what I see, not what I watch on TV. Um, What was your question now that I've ranted on about that? Because it actually has caused a lot of emotional um, distress for the people that I know that do um, this work and the people that I work with. Um, just watching the actual denial that anyone is actually sick by other healthcare workers that aren't working in the same zip code or at the same hospital mm-hmm. um, is, is, is kind of difficult. But, but that being said, where I personally live, I have a place on almost an acre where I just go and sit out and do my gardening all day and I see zero of this. I personally could choose, if I wanted to, to believe that nothing is happening in the world, that there is nothing different about the world. Um, so that's, what's most striking to me is it's really based on our personal, our personal experiences are so, are so varied. And I also am in a position of privilege where I get to choose where I live and I get to choose my interaction with society based on sort of my job. Not everybody has that, um, that luxury based Mm -hmm. on the kind of life that they, that they live. So anyway. So
1: with, with all this variability in, Uh, zip code and with all this variability and potentially now even different strains, uh, some being much more virulent than others. Do you see a a potential role for kind of one size fits all rules or should each hospital system, each uh, community uh, be able to kind of um, choose and dictate how they address it? Uh, similar to how your local hospital is, is making different edicts and decrees as far as okay, well, this is the current science and this is what we're experiencing in this area, so you know follow these particular guidelines.
0: I think it should be individualized. The problem is, is not every um, company and not every institution is going to start with the with the here's the science part. They're not because they don't and they mm-hmm. haven't. <laughs> but if they did, I, I do believe that it should be individualized um, probably by communities within the state. The state should make guidelines um, and and then maybe base it on, because I do think it has a lot to do with rural versus um, urban settings and a lot of socioeconomic differences and how people um, get to work and don't get to work and public transportation or not. I I think it should be individualized. I do think, however, that there has to be some central way to have a, a sort of an agreed upon um, basis of the science. And, and, and I really don't know the answer for how to have a central um, or somewhat uniform way to, say, get treatment to people. Or um, that, That's the answers that I don't have right now. As far as lockdowns go, I, I really do think that it should be based on the community. I can say that now, though, because I realize in my personal community where I spend most of my time, which is very rural... Um, things are different and they're like, okay, you guys need to social distance. And we were all like, this is what we do anyway. Like, just go home and be <laughs> as you were. I mean, that's, that's, the, and, and, and nothing happened. Um, so, so I will agree that just having a, a, one size fits all for the, for the entire country is, will cause problems, economic problems and death for other reasons. I do agree with that. Um, but I, I but not having a uniform, um, I am a fan of systems, um, a hospital can't run without known systems. And uh, so I believe maybe on the state level, if things were uniform, the, state, the people in the state know their state better, I, I still think, um, but they just don't have the resources that I do feel that the federal government should have had from the beginning. I mean, we are, in fact, one country. I don't know, Howard. Because some of these resources are very cost demanding and mm-hmm. resource demanding.
1: So if uh, this is gonna be a little dig, so if everybody had more money, because less taxes were taken out, would be able to afford these resources. <laughs> every
0: every personal person I mean, or
1: corporation. I mean,
0: don't get me wrong. So I don't enjoy. I I also have a residence.
1: The moon.
0: You know, taxes. Every night. I mean, I. <laughs> well, I mean, so I would love to keep all my money and manage myself. And because I feel like I luckily me, I, I'm at a situation where I feed myself. I have savings. I have weapons. I have a perimeter. I have the ability to feed myself and my family. Um, I have resources right now um, and a presence of mind to, I think, use them reasonably. Uh, but not everybody has that. And at some point I have to realize that the reason I can actually get to my house is because somebody else built a road to get there. I mean, you know where I'm going with that. Uh, I could probably get there with my four, four wheel drive. (laughs) Probably. But, you know, but it's a steep hill in West. The moon. So. Yeah. I I mean. That I wouldn't be able to, you know, I can't make back a vaccine for my child. I personally can't. Pretty smart. Don't have the resources to do that. So. I don't know.
1: So what about, um, I mean, the AMA used to have uh, quite a quite a big influence on physicians, and 80, 90 percent of physicians used to belong to the AMA, and now it's, um, you know, 10, 15%. Uh And they used to provide quite a bit of guidance as far as, you know, uh, guidelines and oversight. Um, that could potentially be a, a nationwide, clearing house of information and, uh, I mean, why does the coordination of, um, medical resources and decision-making have to come from a, uh, a system in which, um, uh, people are voted in place and have the ability to use force and violence to get compliance as opposed to just a voluntary organization like the AMA or like um, large hospital systems or large corporations or insurance companies, (laughs) all these scary things. Uh, So, I mean, everything has uh, pros and cons. And I just, uh, um, the coordinating effects of, of government I see as inferior to the coordinating effects uh, in kind of a voluntary system. Um, I mean, you see all these huge corporations coordinating things from all around the world and things all arrive about the right time and and um, everybody is kind of working towards a goal without even knowing that they're working towards a the goal. They're just you know, putting products out there at a certain price point. And it's the market itself that's kind of arranging everything. I mean, we're we're all kind of at a a certain place in our technological progress as a as a society, as a human race, and so there's always going to be limitations of what we can do. It, it just becomes difficult for me to kind of see that the government is superior to um, other Coordinating effects uh, within society. So, uh, as far as having a, a uniform impact on and, and coordinating different resources, uh, how do you feel that the government uh, succeeds versus uh, individual kind of coordinated it just choices?
0: Doesn't, it just doesn't succeed. I, I feel that it is it is bulky and based on policy. Um, I, I, I would sort of agree that the thing is done right if it's done right according to the standard operating policy, not necessarily what the outcome is. Um, so it is very inefficient. I think it is very inefficient. Um, I think it's inefficient because, um, because the humans that inhabit these positions uh, immediately, we, we, I'm guilty of this myself, if I have a responsibility, if I have a job, I come in. Um, all guns blazing at the beginning and then I settle into knowing what I have to do and what I don't have to do and and that's Mm -hmm. self-preservation in a way and I feel that that's how government settles out um, to be a less efficient um, entity. There's no reason to be efficient. You still get to go to work the next day and get the same paycheck and it doesn't matter. In in some situations, I have to be careful. (laughs) But, and I would say that corporations definitely are very efficient because their motivation is, you know, I mean, is Profit or a dollar, or you know, it's a financial motivation, and that is makes things very efficient. But then, then they every I think every model can go to an extreme. I think there is no, I think the problem is, is there is no ideology that cannot be rigged, abused, um, or yeah, you know, rigged or abused basically. I think that's the difficult part is is that we want to find an ideology that's the simplest, lowest common denominator pathway to make everything work correctly in all situations. And the problem is, I don't think that it can. And I think the problem is we have to revisit and make these hard decisions every day instead of just assuming, you know, I mean, Amazon is very efficient. Um, It has uh, ramifications for the environment and for people and everybody that it, it pays and chooses not to pay taxes to and chooses not to pay their you know I mean I, I think it has I think every ideology has value but it has to be revisited actively on a on a daily basis to say oh, what are the things that we're doing and and I would say that for some large corporations they are doing exactly what they need to do which is not to protect their society that um, they glean money from, or to protect their workers, it's actually to. And this the same as could be said for government. Um, if, if we're not, if we don't want to function personally as a society, and we only want to function function as an economy, for instance, I mean, then we're doing exactly what we wanted to do. But for some of us, that's not good enough. And how do you make it just go on autopilot and always work out for everybody? It's not going to work in any ideology. Right. Uh, so we have to be, we have to consciously come every day as humans to the table and, and answer the questions and talk with each other, I guess. That's all I've come up with so far in my middle <laughs> age. <laughs> but I'm, I will agree with you, Howard, that I, I will agree that there is very little efficiency in, in the government managing this. Could there be? Yes. Is there? Mm. No. Yeah. I, I, do I like, do I like, do I have problems with authority? Yes, I do. And I'm not, you know, I mean, I have some history over the past 20 years, and I am not I'm not a fan of authority. So, uh, you know, and and back to what you were saying about maybe a genetic predisposition. I think I started I, I think when I started trying to think for myself, I was a little more to the left, because I felt my personality needed to be cared for. So I will give I will give you that I will think that that is uh, it might be because I was born that way, or maybe my early childhood, or something like that. But I think there is a genetic predisposition to how you look at the world and what your political leanings are, and what you need from the people around you. I don't know. I don't know if it's reality. It's just that that's probably what influenced it. But
1: yeah, well, it, it's nice that uh, we're somewhat agreed upon with the uh, different levels of government making kind of different decisions um, because that's in the past been somewhat uh, divisive within, you know, some people um, advocating smaller, more localized government control and, and others wanting, you know, one size fits all, even advocating uh, the UN having a larger role in making decisions. So things are much more uniform.
0: Can I, can I interject? What is your thought about the fact that, okay, so someone who works in a small rural community, knows better about the workings of that community than than someone outside of that community that's absolutely the case but but they don't have as much experience in certain mm-hmm. of their large picture aspects of it and so how do you how do you mesh that I mean I see that in my personal place of, of work is that you know there's well we've done this this way for 50 years which which worked and I should respect that but they don't have experience with high volume high critical, um situations and so they mm-hmm. could i guess get some value from someone who has a different experience or is more connected. So I I don't really know. What do you think about you know nobody knows better how to run
1: the moon
0: than the people that live there except that when something new comes to the moon possibly reaching out to someone at a different level might be helpful. I I mean I don't mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: I just don't see why the, the CDC, FDA and the government would be anyone's first choice as far as reaching out for more information. <laughs>
0: no. um, I, right. Well, um, and, and actually, interestingly, that was the first place we were getting information as I'm sure everyone was. And um, cause told us really not to wear masks. <laughs> professional conversations that I cannot believe I actually had uh, based on that. So, yeah, I mean, this really, yeah, yeah, I, I really have had to reevaluate where I think, you know, um, how I think things should be run, but I, I don't know, but I can't, but I can't, I can't get there. I can't get there to say, I mean, I, I like to isolate and be by myself and I don't really like people and all that kind of stuff, but um, I, I really can't get to how to do it entirely by myself. So maybe I'm just extrapolating too far, but. Mm. Um,
1: well I think that's um, a, a common misconception is that um, because libertarians are very interested in individual rights and we see that as kind of the basis for civil society, that we don't want there to be rules or governance yeah. or um, coordination when it's it's quite the opposite. We see that you know uh, different imposed governments, and different legislated laws are uh, interfering with and interfering with and, and disrupting the coordination that would naturally happen between uh, large groups of people. You know, every time there's you know an artificial barrier set up, you're, you're going to kind of lose that um, lose that natural inclination of humans to to interact and see other people as potentially the same in group um i mean uh, like when i mean the middle east is a mess because you know after world war one they just whacked up the ottoman empire just randomly and those artificial boundaries went through different you know nations or different groups of people that had been coordinating and now all of a sudden iraq and iran are two different things and Half of them are Persians and half of them are, you know, whatever, and they're all fighting. Um, and so, on a on a much more localized, more recent level, you kind of see that that similar type of thing. How these different uh, these different rule structures that are imposed and are unnatural, people are going to chafe against those because it's not what their uh, society and group have kind of naturally come about to um coordinate with and so um
0: so kind of related to what you were saying so so if every community if you want to call it that was left to their devices and they could decide how they wanted to handle i don't know crises or whatever um i I, what what do you do with the people that fall through i mean this is you've heard this argument a lot i suppose (laughs) People don't fall through the cracks. So let's remember Katrina. Lots of, people, lots of people love to be heroes. There's a lot of people that love to wait till a crisis and come in with their big four by fours with their flags on the back and save things and save people. Mm-hmm. What are they doing in the meantime that these people uh, uh, needed to be, what are they doing when they didn't need to be scooped up from a flood, but they were living in a poor district in between catastrophes nobody pays attention to these people until someone can get some glory from saving people that's mm-hmm. what I think about philanthropy I mean how how does it how does this community um, actually take care of all of its people uh, how that's just I mean that's just a libertarian. Yeah, and, is
1: what I think. well they they wouldn't take care of everyone and I think anybody who, tries to spin libertarianism as utopian uh is uh, is not really understanding the argument the argument is is that the people that fall through the cracks will be fewer than the people that fall through the cracks within a government system and there's going to be i mean particularly now with the internet and all these gofundme and all these social interactions that we have available to us i think it, it would be more likely that more people would have um a better life and the poor would be more taken care of than through i mean just like for an example you mentioned katrina and uh the devastation there but as a as a group of people in the u.s we're very focused on katrina whereas there's a massive tsunami in 2012 that killed 200,000 people or something like that over in uh, so, yeah, I forgot where it was. <laughs> I mean, we, uh, Thailand? No, oh, man. The
0: global citizens.
1: I don't know. But, I mean, so since there's kind of these artificial boundaries, you don't really think about, uh, people in in uh, the world itself. So I, I always try to figure out, you know, what, you, going back to the idea of privilege, yes, um, we all have privilege, but, Sometimes what I see as the the deficit of um, quote unquote the left or Democrats or progressives or whatnot they're they're very much uh, the redistribution and um, tax policies kind of end at the U.S. boundary. I mean, like you could you know easily be in the one percent of the entire world if you just make you know, $30,000 a year, you're in the top 1%. Oh, you know, screw the 1%. And so where is this call for distribution worldwide? I mean, why is it that, you know, uh, a poor person in the US is more valuable than a poor person in, in Africa or, you know, somewhere like that? Um, and so I see that as kind of this uh, artificial concern and uh, artificial uh, limitations in how we kind of see things um, and we don't kind of recognize our own significant privilege and when you start looking at the entire world then your I shouldn't say this as a 45 year old male but your impotence to <laughs> <laughs> affect uh, a dramatic change within the world by you know, altering some, you know, tax policies. Oh, it should be 39. Oh, it should be 34%. Uh, top 1% should get 70%, whatever. I mean, all that stuff has almost nothing that it can potentially accomplish relative to, uh, decreasing trade barriers, uh, decreasing rules for starting companies, um, and decreasing for goodness sakes, the wars where we go and bomb a bunch of poor Brown people, Um, So, uh, I just um, have a hard time getting super excited or involved in our U.S. national politics when it's going to have so little difference to so few people. Really? (laughs) I mean, yeah, a million people is a lot. But a billion people is a lot more.
0: <laughs> so eight billion I mean, people is a lot of people. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: it, yeah, I mean, if if you kind of look, all right. So who are we gonna have here coming up? Trump and Biden, right? Yeah. Um, and Joe Jorgenson,
0: woohoo!
1: Uh, she's libertarian uh, presidential nominee.
0: <laughs>
1: anyway, she's awesome. You should look her up. Um. So anywho. What, uh, policy-wise, not not rhetoric, not kindness, not mental acuity, <laughs> <laughs> policy-wise, what do you see as a potential difference between Biden and Trump for the next four years?
0: Um, you know, the... The only difference, to answer you, um, the only the difference that I see, if if Biden actually uh, is allowed to be president, because I have some issues with someone seating when they lose, and I'm not sure that'll go down well, um, is that I, I'm not sure that he will try to start as many fights. That might be the major difference. Um, He may not rile up as directly on purpose, try to stir up as many issues. Otherwise, I'm I'm not really sure that there will be um, any policy differences that, first of all, can happen anyway. I, I don't know that there's power at this point for the president, any president really, other than directly inciting negative emotions. Um, I, I just don't, I'm not sure the president has enough power. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who they are. I just don't think that he would be as an abrasive as a person. Um, I'm actually hmm. concerned about Trump if he loses what actually will happen and go down in the country. And I worry about people's safety. Because um, I'm hmm. just old enough that I'm starting to sound like my mom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, going forward in voting, I'm in Oregon. And you're on the moon, of course. Is the moon going to go blue? <laughs> Is Oregon going to go red or gold? <laughs> so
0: I'm gonna go with no. No. So you're uh, right. I mean, yes, you're right.
1: I mean, on a on a, a local level, Oregon has a um uh, a new proposition uh, to legalize psychedelics for use in a therapeutic environment um, and so that could have a, a very good potential impact on my um, local community um,
0: so, uh, maybe on the voting this fall like will it be quick and by the time everyone votes that was it's a poor joke it <laughs> happened now they need to get that through now
1: yeah um, everyone
0: will be minded by November
1: That's interesting. So, I think that that is really interesting because of um, the there's very much a divide from what I see in different people and their political backgrounds based on what they see Trump as and uh, Trump's pros and cons. Obviously, on the right, you know, uh, some people literally have been saying that he was sent by God to drain the swamp and he's playing 4D chess every time he screws I mean, he something was, up. He
0: was, well, no. <laughs> he was sent so, by God.
1: But <laughs> as a final test. <laughs> as a,
0: yeah, as a final test.
1: <laughs> to bring those four... He's the first horseman. Yeah, so... Uh, so, um, and then on the left, they see him as a um, uh, extremely racist... Uh, provocateur who uh, you know is in alignment with Putin and and all of these things, and so um, it's just always uh, interesting what a you know vast difference um, people have uh, perception,
0: actual perception, perception of
1: the same. Right, and yeah, it reminds me of those and those wise say- men. Yeah. the wise men kind of poking on the elephant of six wise yeah. men poking on the elephant. And it's appropriate that we call him an elephant since he is morbidly obese. Um, <laughs> but uh, w- would you like to hear my impression of Trump? <laughs> and you can tell me where I've gone off the rails. I just
0: want to know how your employer doesn't listen to your podcast and give you hassle for this. Cause I have to be very careful with what I say. Cause I'm a gov- federal employee. So, <laughs> Oh, Oh
1: yeah. Uh, I, he doesn't even know about it. Uh. anyway
0: don't go there so (laughs) we do both respect our commander-in-chief as commander-in-chief which i do um and i do think he has innate skill and ability to understand other people's uh emotional and mental state that is a skill not everyone has and he capitalizes on that so he (laughs) does definitely have skill
1: (laughs) we would agree like uh as an example there's a another podcast called part of the problem and and um he brought up an an excellent point about kind of trump's modus operandi with the press and you know he'll take like some that's uh, fairly somewhat accepted by the public and then he'll take the extreme version of that in some kind of a tweet and then the press will pounce on him for that but that immediately positions the press against that thing, and then his, you know, it's like, oh, it's exaggeration or whatever. So like, the most recent example would be, um, you know, so vast majority of Americans are against the looting portion of the protests and the burning down of buildings and all this stuff. And so he says, if you're looting, we're going to start shooting or something you. like that. And the press immediately is like, oh my goodness. You can't have the, um, uh, you know, we have a long history of not using the um, military on U.S. soil and uh, da, 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 da. And so now the press is on the side of the looters and he is on the side of the people against looting. And they fall for it like every single time.
0: Be reactive. He created a situation where someone would have to react. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that he cognitively knows that's what he's doing, but yes, he, he yeah, yeah, that's how he creates situations. So and then it has to be binary. But anyway. Right.
1: Yeah. I and mean, I think a, um, the vast majority of people are binary thinkers, and everybody to some extent has that um, when we kind of come at something from a uh, natural reaction. You know, the brain has an emotion, and then it assigns a. Uh, a reason to that that's just how the the brain's wired and so you got to kind of stop and think all right well did that actually is that what actually caused that emotion and so uh he, he definitely is quite the master manipulator and whatnot and uh i think kind of where it went south uh was you know losing the popular vote and getting the and you know it had been built up for so long that Hillary was going to win. Um, when she lost, it was just like everybody like couldn't imagine that she would lose just because, excuse me, she was a horrible person. <laughs> that you know she lost because of some nefarious thing, and they you know they just couldn't wrap the head around that, and so all of these things. Like, you know, oh, it's because the racist came out to vote or it's because Russia was colluding. And it's like, well, eh, actually he did a little bit better with the minorities than previous presidents. And, you know, uh, actually the whole Russia thing was a complete joke even from the beginning. Sorry. Um, But it is just kind of really interesting how, divisive and political people have gotten and they don't just see him as kind of a blowhardy kind of guy who's a narcissist and now he's in control of the nuclear button and (laughs) you don't i mean you know and now he has like he just uh declared antifa a terrorist organization I'm like, all right, so maybe he's a blowhard. Well, what does that mean? Oh, well, they're a terrorist organization, so now they fit within an entirely different category that was brought about by the Patriot Act under Bush and then amplified by Obama so you can now torture those people uh, because of Bush and because of the precedent set by Obama, you can assassinate those people. So now he's this bull in the China store that has all of these powers and it should have been fairly obvious that at some point, we were going to get a crazy loose cannon in the Oval Office, and maybe there shouldn't be all of these powers that one single person has. Therefore, libertarian, go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I, I, what was wrong with checks and balances? What was wrong with the original idea of several people need to be in the room and several Um, Branches of government need to be in the room I'm not sure I understand What was wrong with that You know I mean I I don't know how he Because I you know and I'm not As educated as you in a lot of this stuff But I it seems to me like this has been Creep over time That we're in a situation where The branches of government Seem to function um, At at their preferred way I'm not sure this should actually be aired I should probably be anonymous (laughs)
1: okay
0: <laughs> the more i the more i think about it um
1: yeah i forgot to work to the va uh so dr tiger
0: <laughs> right can we just so, leave it because uh, yeah, yeah, really yeah. Sure. you know i do have a responsibility to um to in a way at least be neutral and do my job <clears throat> i go to work every day and do the best work that i can do um, I do have that responsibility, which I do take seriously. And I do feel that the branches of government that were created initially, uh, you know, I think that they, I don't know, I just think we need checks and balances. I don't know, I agree with you. I, I i mean, I hate to, I'm not disagreeing with you as much as maybe I thought I was going to.
1: Well, I mean, that's...
0: But, you know, <laughs> but I, but, but I honestly don't know how it pans out to not have structure. I mean, even... Even Moses got stuff handed to him physically because we couldn't freaking figure it out without something like written physically on tablets. So, I, you know, that's where I get confused. I haven't evolved past that.
1: Yeah. Um, And it it is very difficult um, to kind of figure out how to structure things. And I mean, there's, um, you know, an old saying from Spooner one of the OG anarchists abolitionists back in the 1800s, you know, the constitution was either uh, designed to allow the government or was impotent to stop the government. And so, Mm -hmm. Uh I mean, the question of the constitution and following the constitution and having checks and balances, is that a sustainable model and that's you know a question for the ages um, because you know people will will constantly want easier and easier answers and they'll offload more and more of their own uh, responsibility and stress onto external systems so they don't have to think about it um, and uh, similarly. As the government promises more and more things, they're unable to accomplish those things um, through a legislative process. So you're then going to have to have more and more bureaucracies to kind of take up, you know, the government will say, okay, we're going to make a rule that this is going to happen. And, okay, well, what about in this area? Oh, I don't know. What about in this area? All right, well, so we're going to make an organization, a little group, we're going to assign people to that group and they're going to take care of that. And then, you know, uh, 200 years later, you have some, you know, all these alphabet agencies and, uh, you know, 50 of them have a SWAT team. So uh, it's at maybe 47. I can't remember how many, but it's a shocking amount. Like the Department of Education has a SWAT team. So, you know, it, it, it does seem... Um, That that is kind of the the natural progression uh, of government uh, and the kind of the natural ebb and flow. And the concern is, is that when that runs its course and you have now the largest government that's ever existed and we have 800 bases throughout the world, how sustainable is that, and how does that get wound down without more of what we're seeing in the streets right now? And that is probably a question you shouldn't answer as a federal employee.
0: I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> but but partly because it coincides with my midlife crisis, just kind of. Realizing the decisions that have been made over the last lifetime, I mean, our lifetime, and where we stand like economically, where we stand socially in our country and in the world. I mean, the thing is, is I can complain about a lot of things, but we brought us here. We, The collective we brought us here, and if we have uh, allowed corporations to take over, and if we've allowed these things to happen, either from laziness or from misguided voting or not voting— you know, nature is nature, and and maybe this, is, maybe this is where we're at. Nature is nature. Maybe it's bigger than us. Mother nature might be taking over. Maybe this is a – I don't know. These are just things I ponder. And then, of course, yesterday I found some permaculture lecture, and that was, like, the end of my day. I listened to it all afternoon. <laughs> you know, like – and it actually did answer a lot of – you know, it gave me some ideas about how to live and not – and how to personally, within myself, be the change. Because I do feel that what we have right now is fragile. And for whatever reason, I can have my opinions of how we got there. And so can you. But I, I do know that we don't come together and discuss things. I think we are more divided. I have some examples that I would probably give off recording, to of how like when people, when people come together on a personal level and they can become friends and they can be on opposing sides of the political spectrum, just so much more gets done. It's pretty amazing. So, yeah. I don't know. I think we have a very fragile fragile world community right now um, that we brought ourselves to, mostly mm-hmm. out of greed. That's mine. Personal greed, too. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with that. Uh, greed is a, a constant, and it's something that everybody has to fight against. And it can be similar to fire. It can be harnessed to allow people to uh, you know, achieve great things in a Socially acceptable way, or it can be used uh, to the significant detriment of the entire world. And uh, I guess where we differ is how does one most effectively rein in that or to guide that uh, self interested greed in socially positive ways? So I, I to-
0: think the real personal change only happens on the individual level. So. You know, I mean, allowed. Uh, one of the one of the the guy that started the permaculture idea. Mm-hmm. He he just said, you know, we have protests, we have a pandemic, and we have protests, and loud protesting does not have the power of your personal change in your personal world, which is just a hard concept for me to wrap my head around. But it inherently feels right. Like if if my if I if I take care of me. And my, if you want to call it spiritual connection to whatever and what's around me, that is not a small, uh, that makes a huge difference in the world around me. And the protests, I usually find a protest to be necessary. I've always kind of thought that that was necessary. How do you not have, how do you not harness your power and try to uh, evoke change with protest? And mm-hmm. his idea is actually that the, the protest is less powerful, Period end of story a protest is less powerful i don't really know where to go with that but it's a very interesting it's a very interesting thought and there's also a book by david hawkins he's an md phd who had a spiritual experience um called power versus force and the idea that government uses force and spirituality involves power and it's just a just an interesting uh I don't know, it's just a different way to look at the world. And I honestly, in my heart, feel, because of my personal changes in my life, have only begun with my change in my view and how I, in my small world, react. And that's really all I have control over. So, mm-hmm. so I think, so, so, so there, that does kind of ring true with your, you know, you're responsible for yourself and you and your family, and the government shouldn't get in the way of that, and you're going to do the right thing. And, I mean, it makes sense. I just inherently, it's hard for me to say it out loud. but fine (laughs) anyway
1: well let's go and wrap this up because it's been an hour sorry to keep you so long Uh, I'm sure by the time I edit this down it's going to be 20 minutes (laughs) of all of my um, uh, uh, (laughs) all my pauses as I'm I'm thinking but this has been Tiger King from the moon (laughs) who's certainly not a federal employee. Um, This will be episode 24, uh, honorandronpaul.com slash ep24. And I apologize that it's a little bit different thing than what's what's going on. But um, I very much thank you for coming on. And please spread this podcast far and wide. Uh, Twitter is at honorandronpaul and Facebook group uh, is honoring ron paul and uh, thank you very much for listening